That's all right, man. Just like good old times. <laughs> um, I was, uh, came on staff at Cornerstone two years ago, uh, January of 2018. I'm on the pastoral team there. And just last spring, uh, just really involved in a lot of care and counseling issues. And last spring, we had this crazy idea of opening a counseling center, um, which was just an idea back in February, March, and then uh, unbelievable that that has actually happened. And I'm the director of the counseling center now, and it's out in West Ames. There's cards uh, out in the foyer, but we have a, a staff of six at this point and two more coming uh, in January and uh, of licensed professional counselors, and we have a psychiatrist. And But uh, counseling not only professionally, but out of a, a Christ-centeredness, a Christian orientation. So just a unique opportunity for not only Ames, but surrounding communities uh, for people that uh, may need that layer of, of care in their life. And so we want to make sure you're aware of that and you can uh, find information out in the lobby. So Philippians chapter 2, as we continue in your study of the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books uh, in the Bible, because it's a book about joy and I don't know about you, but I often find myself without joy. And then you have to think, okay, how do I find that again? Um, and sometimes we look in the wrong places or, or we go about that in the wrong way. So it's just interesting to study a book like this and really understand the, the backdrop and what is really happening as this book is being written. And, and you see joy and you see rejoice and you think, what? I mean, how, how is that even possible? Because you would think that, you know, the Apostle Paul was sitting on a Caribbean, or not a Caribbean, a Mediterranean, um, the coast, you know, drinking iced tea and sitting in a lawn chair and just, you know, soaking up the sun. It had nothing to do with that, his joy. And so in Philippians chapter 2, we come uh, to verse 19 this morning. We're going to study 19 through 30. And let me just read this. And uh, as we just continue to, you know, pick up the themes and ideas that, are happening here. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, on him, but on me also, uh, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in, in, at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So I read a, a book one time called The History of the Church, uh, written by a man named Jeffrey Bingham. And he begins with the a period known as the Apostolic Fathers, about uh, 90 AD to 175 AD. And one of the Apostolic Fathers that he talks about is a man named Ignatius. 
And Ignatius actually was kind of a disciple of the Apostle John. As you may know, all of the apostles were put to death. They were martyred for Christ except for John. And so Ignatius was around that. So he was around just a crazy time, just very dangerous to be connected to Christianity and uh, to even be a leader within Christianity. Very dangerous, just a hard, hard time uh, to, to be a leader in the church. It had nothing to do with power or prestige or position. It had everything to do with a love for Christ, the desire to serve Christ, a passion to serve Christ in a very selfless, uh, you know, serving, sacrificial way. And Ignatius was that way. In fact, he was eventually arrested and he was uh, carried to Rome to be executed. And something interesting happened uh, on his way to Rome. Uh, historians say that on his way to Rome, he was writing love letters to the churches just to express his concern for them, just to encourage them and, you know, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at uh, Philadelphia, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Rome, just writing these believers saying, hey, just hang in there, continue to follow Christ. And, and, uh, and I read that and I thought, what kind of person does that? Who does that? I mean, if I were, you know, on my way to be executed, I, I, I wouldn't be writing love letters. Uh, I, I would be, I don't know what I would be doing. I mean, it would be terrifying. And this man is just writing these love letters, just saying, hey, I just want to encourage you. I, I want to, uh, I just want to express my concern. I just want, want you to know I'm praying for you on his way to death. You know, when I suffer, I generally want to shut down. I, I want to quit. I remember going through a really hard time uh, at the church in Des Moines back, I don't know how many years ago, but it just was hard. Just one of those hard seasons. And uh, I had this mirror in my office and I remember standing in front of the mirror and I was prone to talking into a mirror. I don't know if that's weird or not, but I, I talked to my mirror. I, I never said mirror, mirror on the wall, that kind of thing. But I just remember standing and looking at that mirror and, and, and just saying out loud, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to quit. I just said it out loud and I don't know, hopefully no one heard me, but I just was that low and it was that dark of a time. And the last thing I was thinking about was serving people, writing love letters to people. It's hard. And we all face those kinds of, uh, uh, those seasons in our life. There was just no joy in my heart. So here's what I thought about this question. Could, you know, even thinking of Ignatius, even thinking of what you've already studied up to this point. Could sacrificial service to others be the true secret of joy in the midst of our own personal suffering? Could it be? In fact, that's the point that I I want us to think about this morning. Here it is. There is joy when we sacrificially serve others, even in times of great personal suffering and need. Let me read that again. There is joy when we sacrificially serve others, even in times of great personal suffering and need. And we have the example of Christ, who is known not only as the conquering king, but the suffering what? Suffering servant. He suffered and he served. When he went to the cross for us, died for our sins, it's all about... Uh, the, the, the sacrifice of his life and even the, the scripture that says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
So we see the example of Christ. Uh, uh, you, you've been seeing the example of the Apostle Paul so far in this study, in this letter on joy. But also we're given here a, a couple more examples, a man named Timothy and a man named Epaphroditus. And as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, they're all together in Rome. Now, Paul, um, as you already have studied, is under house arrest, probably living in some cheap apartment, uh, paying rent, some cheap house, and uh, uh, chained to a praetorian guard 24-7. So, you know, Timothy and Epaphroditus are there. They're just hanging out with Paul. And Timothy has been there for a while. Epaphroditus has just shown up. He has a gift uh, from the church at uh, Philippi, uh, kind of a missionary support check. And, uh, and they're there together. And I, I want to look at these two men, some of the things that Paul says about them. Learn from their example, the, their lives marked by sacrificial service to others, even in times of great personal suffering. So first of all, let's look at Timothy and uh, a life marked by genuine concern for others. This is so important, genuine concern for others. Look back at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Remember, he's staying with Paul in Rome, and so he's there, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, no one else, implying that people who get their eyes off of themselves and genuinely become concerned about the needs of others are rare. I looked up that word uh, concerned. It's used in the original language and. I mean, it has the idea to be anxious about. I mean, this is when you're thinking about someone and you're anxious about their need, deeply troubled about what they're going through, you know, to, to the point of carrying their burden. You just feel it for that person. And maybe you've experienced that on both sides of that. About 10 years ago, my dad was in a near fatal uh, car accident. Actually, he was in a pickup truck. He was riding with his friend, Joe. They had just picked up a bunch of deer meat. They were deer hunters and they had just left the meat locker and were heading with a pickup full of deer meat to this homeless shelter to just deliver it. And uh, they pulled onto a four lane uh, highway um, and didn't see this logging truck coming. Now, how you don't see a logging truck company, uh, a truck coming, I don't know, but they didn't see it. Probably shouldn't have been driving. I think Joe's vision wasn't all that great, but uh, they pulled right out in front of this truck going 60, 65 miles an hour, and it hit them broadside. You know, deer meat went everywhere. They said there was deer meat scattered for hundreds and hundreds of feet. Um, the, the truck demolished. Actually, if you saw pictures of it, it was just rolled up in this ball. And when the EMT showed up, they're like, there's no way there, anyone is alive inside of that truck. But they walked up to it, and they heard a noise, and it was my dad trying to, breathe. He was still alive. And so they peeled it all apart. Joe was alive. Miraculously, my dad was alive, but near death and lost a lot of blood. And so they called in life flight and we're going to life flight. I mean, they did life flight him to the nearest hospital was, which was in Shreveport, Louisiana. I got a call. I was actually at an Iowa Hawkeye football game when that all happened. And I got a call. And I couldn't hear anything, so I got out in kind of the, the air where out of the stands, and I was like, what? What's going on? And they said, your, your dad is being life-flighted to Shreveport. He was just in a terrible car accident, lost a lot of blood. We don't think he's going to make it. So I just went out to this chain-link fence uh, at, uh, at the stadium there, 
uh, back behind, I think, some concession stand, just grabbed the fence and just lost it, just sobbing. And uh, I didn't know what was going on with the game. Apparently, the Hawkeyes started losing, and, and this guy came up to me and put his hand on me and said, it's going to be okay. Yeah, there's always another game. In fact, there's always another season. Yeah. I wanted to turn and say, dude, you have no idea. It has nothing to do with that. Um, it, it, up to that point, it was maybe the, the hardest thing that I'd gone through, at least with my immediate, immediate family. And what I experienced just almost after the phone ringing was incredible. Uh, just this, and I, I had been a pastor for a long time. I've been on the giving side of genuine care. But this was a moment, maybe more than I'd ever experienced, of being on the receiving side of genuine concern and care from people, you know, in a way I had never experienced before. It just blew me away. Many times it just brought me to tears. The cards started pouring in the calls, and it just was phenomenal. It's powerful when we show genuine concern for people. I see it all the time, you know, up at a hospital or maybe a connection group. Who has a member going through something really, really hard and, and, and that group comes around them. Someone who's experienced a loss or a tragedy. You know, the church coming around that hurting person. I hear the prayers. I, you know, I've seen the tears. I, I see the personal sacrifice. I see genuine concern and maybe you have as well. Maybe you've been on the giving end of that or maybe even on the receiving end of that. And so there have been moments where we know what that looks like and what that feels like. Paul saw this. In Timothy, he was from Lystra. Uh, Paul led him to Christ on the, on the first missionary journey through. And then on the second trip through, he's, the, the, Timothy was the buzz in, in, in the church. I mean, this guy's incredible, well-respected. And so Paul and Silas say, hey, man, let's, let's put him on the team. Let's take him with us, which they did. And by the time the book of Philippians is being written, Timothy has traveled with Paul for about 10 years. And so we can't remove Timothy from that because everything you read about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and all the things that Paul experienced, the, the hardships and the per- persecution and the danger, all of that, Timothy was a part of that. It's part of who he is. And, uh, and so just all the things that he encountered and, you know, Timothy living this life of selfless sacrifice in his service to Christ on behalf of people, deep and genuine concern is what Paul says for the churches that he had helped uh, Paul plant and, and establish. And so, again, Timothy, you know, with Paul and Silas 10 years earlier when they came through the city of Philippi and people got saved and, and they just established that church there in Philippi. So the Philippian church, the people there would have known Timothy. They wouldn't have known who he was. And Timothy would have known those people hearing about their struggle, their suffering, anxious to be with them. He knew them. And Paul knew this, and that's why Paul says back in verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Here's how he describes genuine concern. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's like you get around Timothy and you'll discover someone who's more concerned about the interest of you than themselves. And I thought, well, what does that look like? Or a lot of the different things came to my mind, but I thought of two things right away. A person not always talking about themselves and what they need, but asking, how are you doing? How can I help you? What can I do for you? 
And when I thought of that, I thought of my friend Scott. Every time I would get with Scott for coffee or lunch, same thing. How are you doing? Do you need anything? And he meant that. It wasn't just cliche. I knew that he really meant that. It was genuine. And it always was such a deep encouragement to me. Not always talking about themselves. Here's the other thing I thought about. You see them serving people. You know, plowing a driveway for someone. Which happened today. I don't know if anybody plowed a driveway. I don't think we got that much. But hey, it's coming. Which I'm not too happy about. The first, you know, the person that's like, hey, we should get a meal train going. We, we need to first to prepare a meal for somebody. They're just thinking about that. You're working in a food pantry, serving young moms, putting that hope basket together. It's that person that just hears Sue get up here and, and right away just ignites something like, man, I need to do that. I want to do that. You're going to jump on that. That's, that's a person that has genuine concern for others. They respond. You know, and in all of this, you know, often when that person is experiencing their own personal crisis, their own suffering, their own hardship. And, and, and after a while, you start putting that together as you meet people like that. You start putting this together and you're like, maybe joy isn't so dependent on, you know, finding ideal circumstances, but on sacrificial service to other people. A lady started attending our church down in Des Moines, and I mean, she was all smiles. Um, you know, just super friendly, kind, gracious. I'm like, who is this lady? I was so happy she was there. You know, just exuded joy. She worked uh, as a housekeeper at uh, Mercy Hospital, either on the sixth floor or seventh. She always told me, and I never could remember, but uh, she just, she said, I just love my job because I just get to talk to patients. I get to serve them and meet their needs. It's almost like her job as a housekeeper at the hospital was a, a ministry. And, uh, and so it wasn't it long before she started working in our food pantry at our church there and, you know, helping people carry their groceries out. You can see her giving hugs and maybe praying with somebody, just smiles and joy flowing from her. And you would think she must not have any problems in her life. She must not have any stress in her life. You know, her life obviously is very smooth and trouble-free and nothing could be further from the truth. Because one day she just told me her story. And I learned something, multiple tragedy, uh, tragedy and loss in her life. Stuff that just makes your, your heart just kind of stop like, and catch your breath. Like, wow, that's pretty hard. And uh, financial struggles, not being able to pay some of her bills on time, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and yet joy. It's like, how? Listen, this is a woman who had learned this very important principle. And maybe this is where you're at and this is where I'm often at in my life. There is joy to be found. There's joy to be experienced when we sacrificially serve someone else in times of great personal suffering and need. Seems very counterintuitive. When we suffer, when we have our time, we think joy is mostly going to come from what others are doing for me. Love me, serve me, help me. And in the kingdom, in God's economy, it's reversed. 
Joy is waiting for you and for me. If we can just grab a hold of this, to really begin to show genuine concern for others, even in our own pain and difficulty. This was Timothy. This is Timothy's life. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served, there's that word, served, with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so as we think of Timothy, uh, we just want to ask. I've been asking these questions of myself all week. Am I showing genuine concern for others? Who is that? Who is that person? Or the people who need that from you right now? Just as you're thinking this through... Maybe a name or maybe a family just starts to come to your mind like, yes, I think they're really struggling. I think they're really going through something hard. And I am too, but I need to serve them. And you say, Steve, I don't feel like serving people right now. I'm going through something really hard. I need them to serve me. Here's the point. There's joy. There's joy when we sacrificially serve others, even in times of great personal suffering and need. Maybe, I thought of this, maybe we lack joy because we have stopped caring for and serving the interest of others. And I would stand here and say that has certainly been true of me many, many times. Here's the second example. Um, Epaphroditus. His life marked by taking risks for others. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier... And Paul uses that word soldier because this is not easy stuff. And he's saying Epaphroditus was right in there with me, working hard, serving hard for the gospel. And your messenger and minister to my need. We know a lot about Epaphroditus. Some people think he's the same person uh, uh, that's mentioned, Epaphras, uh, who was a leader and church planter with Paul. But for sure, Epaphroditus was a friend and fellow worker of Paul. He brought the gift of money. From the church at Philip, from Philippi, the Philippian church, to Paul. And while he was with Paul in Rome, apparently Epaphroditus became seriously ill. And Paul mentions that. And after his recovery, Paul sends him back to Philippi. And remember, um, in all of this, a trip to Rome was not, it wasn't a, you know, a dream vacation to Italy. I mean, it was dangerous. Because he's going to associate with somebody who was under house arrest. We're doing something, you know, that was becoming illegal and dangerous. You know, Paul waiting uh, for his trial and possibly uh, his execution. And so just to associate with someone like Paul is very dangerous. And uh, came at great risk. And Epaphroditus telling the church at Philippi, hey, if we have a gift to send over there, I'll take it. I'll go. But for your sake and for Paul's sake, and now after spending uh, time with Paul in Rome, it says in verse uh, twenty. Five, look there, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you, uh, for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And uh, indeed, he was, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy 
and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. That's sacrificial service, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. And so his example of, of serving Christ, taking risk on behalf of others. The moment of decision when we realize, if I serve you in this way, I might lose something. It might require some kind of sacrifice. Epaphroditus, that, that, that's the way he lived. And I have to ask myself and even you, what personal risks are we willing to take on behalf of someone else who is in need? Because this, this isn't easy stuff. He's like, yeah, um, I want joy. I need joy. And I'm hearing you say that I just need to serve somebody. But the context here and what we're seeing here is service that comes with sacrifice. It might even come with personal risk. So the question of what personal sacrifice are we willing to make? What personal discomfort? Here's the point. There's joy. When we sacrificially serve others, even in times of great personal suffering and need. And the question I thought of, how do you counsel people who are suffering? I do that all the time. A lot of pastoral counseling and um, have done it for years. You know, how do you counsel someone like that? Someone who's going through a hard time. What do you do for them? What do you say to somebody? You know, do you, do you give them hugs and kisses and cards and candies? And the answer is, yes, we need that. Cards poured in when my dad had his accident. We were just in that time of crisis and lots of hugs being passed around. And God uses that in a significant way. It's just one of the gifts we have uh, when we're even part of something like this, where we can really show love and care for each other. But Paul takes it a step further. And here's his counsel. Here's the counsel he gives to those who are suffering. Sacrificial serving. You want to find joy, he would say, in the midst of your suffering? Pursue God's glory by pouring yourself out as an offering for the sake of other people. Showing genuine concern for them, even at great personal cost and risk. Um, I just lost a really good friend. His name was Gary Klein. He was a member at our church in Des Moines and uh, just had become a, he was a leader, servant in the church, uh, had a long, long battle with, with cancer many, many years, even uh, had a leg amputated that had become full of cancer. Just a lot of really difficult things that he had to work through in his life, in and out of the hospitals, constantly on medication. But you just loved Gary. You wanted to be around him. There was something special about Gary, and it was this. It was a life marked by joy. Gary, um, if you hear the story, a lot of, lot of pain, a lot of hardship, a um, lot of wasted years, he would say just in the bar scene and just failed marriage, family had, you know, just ostracized him, just a lot of stuff. And then he started coming to the well and he found Jesus. He heard the gospel and it made sense to him what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And I mean, he, he believed, he accepted that God's forgiveness. And it's just what it was like. He just became this 
you know, gospel energizer bunny. I mean, he just be, just became passionate about serving Christ. He used to say, why did I get, I mean, he was like in his 50s when he got saved. And he's, he would say with deep regret, I wish this would have happened sooner. I missed out on so much. So I always tell him the story of the Apostle Paul who got saved later in life. Say, just go for it. Go hard for Jesus and love him and serve him. And God's going to use you in an incredible way, which God did. Um, Gary's life marked by joy. Not, not be, so much because of what other people were doing for him, but what he was doing for other people. He loved kids. He, he was in the kids, you know, worked in the kids ministry, even from a wheelchair. I mean, the kids' ministry was his happy place. You know, when I needed a shot of joy, I would just go down on a Wednesday night and find him sitting in there where the kids are worshiping or listening to their lesson, and I would sit right by him. He would always look at me and say the same thing. Don't you just love this? A man that, you know, could have become bitter and lived the rest of his life just a grumpy old man in a wheelchair and he was the exact opposite of that he's a man that just wanted to go hard for jesus for as much time as jesus gave him i think he's either 80 or 81 uh, when he passed away last week so that's like 30 years of going hard for jesus and the result of that for him and for all who were around him was this this infusion of joy Because God was using him. He lived this principle to the very end. There is joy when we sacrificially serve others, even in times of great personal suffering and need. And just the simple question, what does that look like for you right now? What does that look like for me right now in the life of somebody else? You know, you say, Steve, I'm I'm suffering right now. I'm, I'm tired. I'm hurting. I understand that. We all are in one way, shape, or form. What about somebody else? Who can you show genuine concern for, take a risk for, even in the midst of our own hurt and pain? I was taking notes furiously when Sue was up here. Because right away, we have a joy project. I I think that's incredible. Festival of hope. I just thought, you know, What a great opportunity for joy, not maybe so much the joy that that person is going to, who's receiving that basket is going to have, but your joy to take a Saturday, to put a basket together and take a Saturday and just go in there in love and care for and show genuine concern for somebody else that's in need. Yes, you're in need. I'm in need. We're all in need, but to show genuine concern for somebody else. A gift, she said, a talent, a treasure to give. If we do it out of the right heart, out of a gospel heart, out of, a, 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 out of Christ-likeness, um, I can almost guarantee joy will result from that. Or whatever else God leads you to do this week. Let me pray that God would put that in our heart, to not just hear this, but to take action, a, a joy action this week. Would you pray with me? God, uh, you know my heart, you know my life, you know I need to hear this sermon, maybe more than anyone here. So thank you for reminding me of these things. Help me this week to look beyond myself 
and go hard for you and love and serve people. Not out of my own strength and ability, but by your presence through the power of your spirit in me to follow your example who suffered for us, went to the cross that we might experience forgiveness and new life and joy. God, help us do that this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.